Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favorite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic. The Athletic. Totally Football Show. Today, all the fun of Premier League Round 4. Chelsea fans are heckling. Arsenal win with Declan. Sancho outcast at Old Trafford. A sorry miss from Jackson at the bridge. And Eagles v Wolves like in The Hobbit. And does that make Roy Gandalf? There sure is a lot to talk about in today's Totally Football Show. Hello, listener. Thanks for your patience. It's uh, a little bit later than usual on a Monday, 4th of September. I'm sat here in the Tony Football Show studio with Liam Tharm. Hi, Liam. Hi, how are you? I am well. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Had a very good weekend of football. Uh, we have a lot to dissect. Yeah, too much. On the screen, we've got Daniel Story. Hello, Daniel. Morning, James. And Raphael Honigstein from his spare room. All right, right. Hello, James. Hello. Hello. All right. As you say, Liam, we've got an awful lot to talk about. You saw four or five games by the looks of it this weekend. Uh, so we're going to have to be fairly... Um, we're going to have to editorialise a bit because there's only so much room in the, in the podcast. But what a weekend to finish off this chunk of the season before the international break, eh? Yeah, it was amazing, especially uh, at the Emirates, where the game wasn't actually that good what uh, i felt until sort of very late on in the second half when when things uh, kind of exploded into life with all the goals uh, not good in the sense that the football i thought was actually not very good all right but it was it was a great spectacle and it was just amazing to be there and to to soak in all the contrasting emotions united thought they had won it then Arsenal, of course, did mm. win it. Right. It was um, it was great. Okay. Daniel, I mean, beyond the Emirates, another rollicking weekend of attacking football. Yeah, I think 13 teams of the 20 scored two goals this weekend, which seems, I don't know, kind of inherently feels quite high. We're already seeing, I think, the kind of stratas of the Premier League forming, Manchester City with a small lead. I think this is the longest in the Premier League era that no promoted team has has won a game yet uh, and it does feel like you know Everton Sheffield United and your, your Everton Wolves they already feel like six pointers in September which feels a bit I don't know like breaking the breaking the stereotypes but yeah I think we're already seeing those positions forming as we go into that first international break and there are clubs who now have an awful lot of work to do and managers have an awful lot of work to do over the next two weeks. Mm. Liam how many games did you watch this weekend? Probably about three or four, I think. All oh, right. okay. That's yeah. a reasonable amount. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Which one did you enjoy the most? Well, I actually went with, with John McKenzie to watch uh, Brentford against Bournemouth, and that was that was really quite good fun. I think seeing two sides that obviously aren't quite mm. up at the top, but both trying to play quite expansively, both played a bit direct at times. There were plenty of mistakes as well, and there were goals, and it, it finished in quite exciting fashion. And uh, David Brooks scored his first goal mm. um, after returning from obviously having uh, cancer for a quite a long period of time. Which was, was it not great. his second goal? Sorry, first in the Premier League, he scored in the cup ah. in the week. So yeah, um, there you go. Yeah, that, that was that was good to see. One of the many, one of the many great stories of this weekend. A weekend which saw booze at the bridge as Forest got their first away win since January. That was at Chelsea. Uh, Newcastle got done 3-1 at Brighton. All three goals by Evan Ferguson. Hat-tricks too for Erling Haaland in City's 5-1 thumping of Fulham. And Hyungmin Son in Spurs' mighty 5-2 win at Burnley. Elsewhere... As Liam mentions, 2-2 for Brentford and Bournemouth. A 2-2 also for Sheffield United and Everton. Luton now drop into last place after their 2-1 loss Friday at home to West Ham. Sunday, boom, Palace beat Wolves 3-2. Liverpool do Villa 3-0. And as for Arsenal, Man United will start with that. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Saka takes... There you go. Daniel and Rafa were there. 
3-1 it finished. Quite a journey to get there. Rafa wasn't convinced about the overall level. Daniel, maybe we'll, we'll touch on you. From my kind of humble perspective, in, in terms of a spectacle, you couldn't have scripted it better. I mean, it hit every kind of narrative beat along the way. A twist here, a comeback there, and then that late sting in the tail. Bam. Yeah, I mean, I agree with Rafa about the general quality of the game. Manchester United have this weird thing, particularly away from home at the moment, where they're really quite good on the counter, and yet they seem to spend most of the game with the ball in their own defensive third. And Arsenal seemed pretty happy within reason for them to do that. Uh, Arsenal were better, I think... Well, they were better when, when last season's stars got on the ball, when Erdegaard played the ball to Saka, when Martinelli drove at Wan-Bissaka. Kai Havertz is still a kind of riddle inside an enigma for Arsenal, I think, and they're working that out. And it was a... There's this weird thing whereby now everything the big that happens to Arsenal seems to be magnetised towards Kai Havertz. So he, he air kicks with a clear shot. It's his pass that's intercepted to set up United's counter goal. Um, but I didn't, yeah, I didn't think the quality was was great. I thought the excitement level was was fantastic. And yeah, as you say, that denouement to the game, it, it was incredibly fine margins, but I kind of wrote in my piece, if one side signs Declan Rice over the summer and the other signs Johnny Evans, then, then maybe inevitably in those fine margins, it's always going to go as Arsenal's way at the moment. Extraordinary. Lim, were you able to watch this? Yes, yeah. I um, I actually thought United were largely quite good defensively. Maybe, say, the first hour, I thought the wingers got back quite well. Arsenal seemed to have some issues where I thought it was funny because a lot of people said before the game that this was sort of their, their best team or it was good to see Arteta having a team with everyone in their quote-unquote natural positions. But... The winger struggled. United doubled up really nicely. And um, as you say, it, it takes sort of for errors later on in the game. And let's not forget that United have got a pretty horrid record going away to big six sides under Ten Hag. Um, of course, they lost this very same fixture um, in very similar fashion late on. You know, uh, on another day, Alejandro Gonacho is not quite the two centimetres offside that he is. And that might be a very different result. Yeah. Or because Saka shoots one side or the other of Onana or the fellow that Arsenal bought in to do some goal scoring doesn't swing and a miss when he gets that huge chance back in the first half. Are we now in Agent Havertz territory, given his consistent inability to you know, do what he's paid to do, Rafa? It's definitely worrying that it's taken uh, a long time for him. Uh, it's still taking a long time for him to find his feet. He, he seemed lost a little bit at times in the, in the game. Um, not, not quite sure where he should go. Um, there was very little link up, very little connection between him and the rest of the team, and everything went down Arsenal's right side. The right hand side was much more in tune with each other than the left. Uh, Aaron Ramsey um, spoke to me after the game, and he said, "Well, it's natural, you know, that on the, the guys on the left have only played one game together, and that's today: Sinchenko, Havertz, and uh, and Martinelli. And on the other side, these guys have played now for for many weeks and months and and, and years even." So maybe it's that, but his overall sort of lack of, of spark, physically he doesn't seem to be quite there. I don't know if it's, it's, if it's confidence or just heavy legs. It is quite weird seeing Kajavitz play so badly because anyone who would have seen him at Leverkusen knows that this is, this is just not a real representation of, of who he is and what he can do. Mikel Arteta was, was pleading for patience. He compared um, Havertz's betting in problems with his long and drawn out courtship of his own wife. He said it took a lot of attempts to get her to go out with him, but in the end it worked out beautifully. Um, let's see if there'll be a similar happy end for, for Havertz, but I don't know how long it took for for Ateta to to actually um, Score. manage to yeah, to, to to go out with his eventual wife, but right. I'm not sure. Right. This can be drawn out for months and months. Havertz really needs to needs to give us something to suggest that he can play in that system uh, quite quickly, I think, after the international break. Where I was watching, there was an extraordinarily charged atmosphere, a lot of United fans. Uh, and the big twist at the end where United thought they won it through Alejandro Garnacho and then that's called back for the very tight offside. And then Arsenal come back in the, in, in the time added on. And wild celebrations, I imagine, from the supporters there at the Emirates. Are you saying they should temper that uh, those celebrations because the performance wasn't that good? Or was this actually another demonstration of personality? 
I, I think it's exactly that. I think it was a personality win over a system win, over a, a tactics win. Um, I also think, you know, this is classic, making the result fit the narrative in hindsight. But in 2023, Arsenal have drawn with Southampton with a last-minute goal. They've beaten Aston Villa with two last-minute goals. They've beaten Bournemouth with a last-minute goal. They've beaten Manchester United twice with last-minute goals. Manchester United have won three away games in the league in 2023 against Forest, against Leeds, who are now in the Championship, and against Bournemouth. So... Manchester United are not particularly good away from home, whether that's because they're learning Ten Hag's system and he's now been there long enough that they should have learned that. And Arsenal are very good at squeezing everything out of the last minutes of games. And I think when you then watch that happen, it's it's very hard not to kind of go, well, that was always going to happen because that's what's been happening all year. But it is what's been happening all year. Arsenal do score late goals to win games. Manchester United do lose games late on and do concede goals away from home. So... Yeah, clearly the margins were fine. It was a, one of those toenail offsides. But if you then, you know, if you then don't defend a corner properly in the last minute, and then you throw players forward to get caught on the break, you can see goals. Yeah, and I think that Ateta was obviously delighted, and and so were the fans that they'd won this game. And you would never tell anyone to tone down their, their celebrations, especially if you haven't perhaps played that well. That that makes it even more fun to win. But Looking at him during most of the 90 minutes, he didn't seem happy. He didn't, I think, felt a sense that there was a real rhythm, a real fluidity to this Arsenal team. A lot of it, I think, as Daniel said, had to do with United defensively, or Liam might have made the point, actually being very solid and being very uh, destructive, uh, obdurate, frustrated uh, Arsenal. They didn't really allow for any meaningful uh, possession in the United half, uh, they were much more resilient than we've seen them in recent weeks where their midfield was very open for any anyone to really move through at their will. But I still got the sense that Arsenal are not quite clicking as a team that they were uh, last year. They're, they're not at that level of, yeah, fluency of dominance with the ball that we saw that I think made us all reach for comparisons with with Pep Guardiola's Man City at the time, they're, they're a little bit diminished, it seems, this season, or perhaps still trying to figure out how the new, you know, slightly different setup in terms of the personnel can, can, can work out on the pitch. Hmm. Still doesn't feel like the finished article. One more thing we maybe should say is that Gabriel Jesus coming on is, is potentially transformative back to what they had at the start of last season. I know he was only on the pitch for... Uh, for minutes, although did score. Um, but Nketiah didn't quite... I, I really like Eddie Nketiah and I think he'll be a brilliant option off the bench for Arsenal, having got their money for, for Balogun. But he did just feel a little bit more static than, than Gabriel Jesus does. Uh, he's a worker, he, he's hard, he, he battles. But there just wasn't quite the, the fluency to the move with him on the pitch, which sometimes there is with Jesus, with his kind of give and goes and his dipping in behind. So, look, him being injured for the first month of the season is less than ideal. It sounds like it could have been longer in that, that, that Mikel Arteta is happy to have him back now. But after the international break, he's clearly going to be at full speed again. So maybe that maybe that helps things. OK. Arsenal uh, go into the international break. Two points off the top of the table alongside Spurs, Liverpool and West Ham. Man City, of course, uh, out in front. Man United... One of the big names down in the bottom half. They're in 11th place. In terms of positives for United from this game, some would type uh, Hoyland, uh, Onana perhaps. So who would you say, Liam? Yeah, Hoyland looked really lively coming off the bench. I think they've been, as we saw in the first half for, for the goal, they've been very reliant on Marcus Rashford, um, particularly in transition. And one of the best parts about Rashford's game, I think, over the past season or so, particularly working under Benny McCarthy now as a, a striker coach, is he's got better at being a centre forward, he can get in the box now, can score headers, can score one touch finishes. So, if you can have more sort of depth and variety to your attack, uh, I think it was it was either I'm not sure if it's Gabriel or Saliba, but whoever Hoyland kept going up against, um, in terms of physical presence, made it into a really really good battle. Um, we obviously have seen increasing numbers of those now with sort of more physical number nines coming into the fore. So, I think it's important um, not just in terms of goals, but in terms of making United attack definitely more varied. Okay, on the less positive side, uh, you'll you'll probably have seen the the remarkable. Jane Sancho situation now with Ten Hag's comments about his training essentially not being up to scratch and, and Sancho saying this isn't true I won't have lies said about myself and I've been a made a scapegoat it was about this point last year after a disappointing start that that Ten Hag 
basically fingered Ronaldo as as the problem and and, and forced him out. Are we, is he employing a similar dynamic with Jaden Sancho? What what do you think is going on? Was there ever any problems like this at Borussia Dortmund uh, with the player Rafa? Well, they had some uh, well documented problems with punctuality. He was uh, banished from a squad a couple of times uh, for missing meetings, etc. But um, on the pitch, he always delivered. And that's why I think it wasn't that big an issue here. Um, of course, he hasn't played well since since moving to United. Uh, Ten Hag has already taken him out of um, training altogether, sending him to special conditioning in uh, the Netherlands, I think, uh, last season. And now very clearly making the insinuation that he's not professional enough, not training well enough, and has therefore... Uh, left him out. Um, it's it's worrying because A, he costs a lot of money, but B, also for him, he's uh, such a huge talent. And unfortunately, United don't seem to be able, or he's not able to get any of that talent out on the pitch at the moment, which seems a massive waste for, for everyone concerned. Um, yeah, big, big shame. I think we it probably is also as close to breaking point in that relationship as we're going to get because we know from Ten Hag last season he disciplined uh, Alejandro Garnacho in pre-season. He, he, he left Marcus Rashford out of a squad for being 45 seconds late. If that's what he'll do in those instances, if a player then speaks out on social media, presumably without the say-so of the club or the manager, um, to call the manager a liar and say that he's making him a scapegoat, that that's as close to a relationship breaking as I think we can get, uh, and I know there are some transfer windows that are still open, but this happening the day after the transfer window closes is is really not ideal for any party. No, indeed not, indeed not. Uh, transfer window coming to close last Friday, uh, the day after the Champions League draw, which just to finish off on Man United for now, saw them drawn with. Hello, Harry Kane's Bayern Munich and Wilfried Zaha's Galatasaray plus Copenhagen. What do you think about their chances in that group based on what you saw at the Emirates? Well, I think uh, irrespective of the performance at the Emirates, uh, United and Bayern are huge favourites to to go through. But I'd be a little bit worried about United's away form. Um, Ten Hag made the point yesterday that uh, the game could have easily turned out very differently um, if it weren't, weren't for the refereeing decisions, and he's right. Uh, he was also very happy with the basic setup, but it does fit into this wider pattern that away from home, they're really nothing special. They don't get the results. Last year, they were the fifth best team away from home and the second best team at home. And I think that that counter-attacking style that they adopt just makes them a little bit vulnerable at times. And you'd like, I think now with Ten Hag being in his second year and having made more signings, uh, things to develop a bit more towards United being able to to dominate. Um, and I think that's, that's my one concern when they have to go to places like Istanbul. But they should still be very comfortable, I think, coming through. All right, we shall see. We shall see. As for Arsenal, who did they get? Ooh, Sevilla, PSV and Lens. Uh, loads of other draws we can touch on. Perhaps we'll do that in the course of today's show. But next up, let's have a quick look at the other two games from Sunday. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. Early Sunday afternoon, Selhurst Park was the venue for a rollicking. Crystal Palace 3, Wolves 2 affair. Any thoughts? Yeah, my, my main takeaway was that I think only once last year did Crystal Palace play two up front or start a game with two up front. But the game basically completely transformed when they brought on Mateta to play up front with Odson Edouard. And you know, last season, Palace had all these attacking midfielders with Zahav, 
there and Elise fit and, and Eberechieze. So it kind of made sense to play all of them and one striker. But I wonder now if there is an argument with Zahar leaving and Elise injured to to play two up front because Mateta and Edouard look brilliant together. Mateta's, he did this kind of assist with his back that was absolutely glorious. He then assisted Edouard for, for his second goal and they just suddenly look really vibrant around the penalty area, which is absolutely not what we've seen from Palace um, other than through Eze over the past sort of 15 months. So yeah, that was a kind of takeaway. Should Palace be in the same category as your, your, your Brightons, for example, in terms of hipster delights? I, I think so. Um, I think people misprofile them as well as very much a defensive team. Remember when Roy Hodgson came in, he said that the first session he did with them was an attacking session. They went and they scored, I think it was it three, four or five goals in, in the first game and went away one big at Leeds. Um, and Mateta, of course, had a hat-trick uh, last week as well in the cup against Plymouth and scored some really good goals for a striker who, when I've looked through his scoring form, had been really patchy and just gone sort of real droughts without, without scoring. So, yeah, they definitely need to find a way to adapt. Um, there's other clubs in, in the Premier League that have gone through similar things. Um, you look at how Brentford have to adapt without Tony and sort of change their shape. West Ham are sort of doubling down on their tactics without Declan Rice. So there's sort of different ways around it, I think. And um, they are just sort of really loading up on, on the forwards and they've got a lot of really good talent. And there's a lot of young players in there as well who, of course, you know, can be moulded into whatever way now they, they want them to be. Mm, exciting times there in southeast London. Uh, meanwhile, uh, at the same time, there was also Liverpool's 3-0 win over Aston Villa, which uh, Jürgen Klopp afterwards was... Uh, very excited about it. It was a top game, the best for a long time, he said. I can't remember the last time we were that convincing. What did you think? Yeah, I, I completely agree, funnily enough, with what, what it's to say there. But it very much felt like one of Liverpool's home wins from 2019-20 when they won the title. Scoring early, being ahead at half-time. Mo Salah scoring in front of the cop, you know, scoring set-piece goals because often teams will sit back against them. And their pressing was fantastic. It's a sort of press that we haven't seen or be as effective from Liverpool in a long time. They had a really energetic front three in Luis Diaz, Darwin Nunes led the line and Mo Salah. And inside two minutes, they had a really smart press where Salah was effectively quite narrow, but he was arcing his run so that he was stopping the pass from uh, Paul Torres, the left centre-back, into Luca Dean. And Paul Torres just didn't know how to respond to it. Kept panicking, kept getting caught on the ball. It led to the corner inside two minutes, which... Uh, Dominic Schubert's last, you know, rifled a shot in for, um, for the first goal, and it just kept happening throughout the match. I think Paul Torres completed one pass to Luca Dean in the whole match, which is obviously not very many. Um, and yeah, Liverpool had the game out of sight sort of by 55 minutes. Wow. A guy Drinkel asking, uh, Rafa, did you think that Dominic Schubert's would settle into the Premier League this quickly? No, I did not, especially not in a slightly different formation, a different position, I should say, because he mostly played as a second striker or as a wide number 10 in that Leipzig system. But to be in uh, in a three midfield and really with the energy that he's showing going up and down, but still having that composure on the ball to do special stuff with it, uh, it's a massive step up for him. And it's happened so quickly um, under such pressurized uh, circumstances. I'm hugely, hugely impressed with him. And uh, I, it just shows you, I think, once again, that and maybe as um, journalists, as much as we'd like to think that we know a lot, mm. uh, we perhaps don't know quite as much as people who look at players on a professional, uh, more professional even, uh, basis and see not just what they can do, but maybe see things that haven't yet happened in terms of what they what they can achieve if they're in slightly different circumstances and, and having different responsibilities he's it's really been fantastic. Excellent. Excellent. We should perhaps be wary of getting overexcited about a, a team's big winning performance against Aston Villa. After all, Newcastle did that in week one. We all thought they were off to win the title. And look, look what's happened to them since. Daniel, anything you want to say about this game? Uh, well, I'll just uh, uh, mention on Villa who, you know, Unai Emery has done fantastically well there. But this is the second away game this season where he's gone with a really high defensive line against a team who... Yeah, if you if you if you swamp Newcastle and if you swamp Liverpool, you can force mistakes. We saw Newcastle doing that to Liverpool last weekend. But if you don't get it right, then you end up just with four defenders quite near the halfway line and an awful lot of space in behind. And Newcastle scored five times doing it. Liverpool scored three. And from what I saw of the you know rerun of the game, could easily have scored five or six. And he's going to have to come up with a plan B in those games if Villa aren't going to be as effective as stopping teams passing out and passing through them. Yeah, indeed so. Uh, Ryan Gravenbach, Rafa, is he going to figure largely in, in plans at Anfield? What, what will he bring? 
I think he'll bring a similar kind of stuff that uh, Sobosla is bringing, perhaps um, a little bit less technical, but very good dribbler, a very good energy, um, very tall, of course, and can really run away from, from players with the ball. So the perfect number eight and perfect for Liverpool system. One of the reasons why things haven't worked out with Bayern, and, and Tuchel even talked about this very much on the record on Friday, is that Bayern don't really have a natural space for play like that. They play with a double six. Uh, players have to be very disciplined. They can't really run with the ball very much because Bayern have a lot of deep possession, very little space to go. In Liverpool's system, um, spaces tend to open up in transition, especially in the second half quite often. And I think he'll be he'll be great. He can play on the left. He can play on the right as an eight. Um, there's talk that Klopp might form him into a new Fabinho. That would be a huge development. That'd be another big change for the player. I guess he has the attributes to play it, but he hasn't really played it in an orthodox sense so far. And I don't know if Klopp is going to try to convert him straight away into that player or more gradually. But he's got he's got fantastic ability, and I think he's really really great signing for Liverpool. Excellent, excellent. On the transfer front, ha- are we all happy now that the Mo Salah to uh, Saudi has been put to bed? I'm not sure the Saudis are happy. Hmm. When you say we're all happy, um, I think they'll go again. The Saudi transfer window is still open until the seventh of September, and they will keep asking the question uh, with ever more question marks hmm. or zeros uh, before the question marks and they must be as much as you know Dominic Sabislai said um, Salah has told him he's staying and Liverpool haven't heard from Salah that he wants to leave they must feel reasonably encouraged to be wanting to pursue this a bit further even if it's only with the view of making it happen maybe in January or at the very latest next summer so I don't think we'll be able to put this to bed for quite a while, uh, James, one way or the other. I see. I was going to ask Rafa, if, given what we said about Bayern in their Champions League group, they obviously sold Gavin Batch and the, the Jao Polinia transfer was probably the sort of soap opera story of the deadline day. I guess there's like a huge, a huge amount of regret that they've ended up with less when they were trying to have more. Yeah, regret, frustration, anger. Certainly Thomas Tuchel making it quite clear that he wasn't happy with how things went down. He wanted a, that a defensive midfielder. He didn't get him, but lost Gravenberg. He wanted a new centre-back right-back to replace Benjamin Pavard. He didn't get him either. So buying quite thin in certain areas. I think the thinking in Munich is that we'll be okay until January. We'll get through the group stage. We'll be all right domestically. But when it comes to crunch time crunch time for Bayern is spring when it gets into the knockouts of the Champions League we really need that player urgently and I think they've they've tried to keep the lines of communication with both Fulham and Palinia very much open to see if they can make this happen in the winter break because they still love the player and Tuchel really feels that he still needs that kind of player um, because he has midfielders who are uh, perhaps not quite as um, strong off the ball and defensively minded as as Palinias. Mm. What actually happened, Rafi? He had his medical there in Munich. It was just the fact that Fulham couldn't find a replacement, or what, what, what was the sticking point? Yeah, that's exactly it. He was holding up the shirt. He was doing all the media stuff. All <laughs> the press releases had been prepared, but Fulham. Did they get as far as the leather shorts or not? No, not leather shorts. No, that would have been the next step, the next level of assimilation. Fulham couldn't get a replacement in time for Bayern's for the German transfer window to close at 6 p.m. local time, and they called it off, and then they had to be sent back on a on a jet set. Um, quite sadly, I mean, it's in a way it's Bayern's fault for leaving it so late. Fulham, not always known in in the industry as a club with uh, a lot of plans and uh, smooth processes when it comes to finding players, so relying on them to find the last minute replacement perhaps was a bit naive on Bayern's behalf and they've only got themselves to blame I think for leaving it so late and for uh, being so busy on on a day where they used to laugh about especially English clubs but others that they had to scramble and do their business on deadline day this time Bayern were the 
you were the, the laughing stock. Yeah, it. So it's very embarrassing to them. Yeah, not buying. Mm. Uh, very good. Uh, next up, let's move on to Saturday's Premier League action. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. We're sponsored for this episode of the Totally Football Show by Shopify. Shopify is the global commerce platform helping you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify's there to help you grow. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify has got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout, which is up to 36% better compared to other leading commerce platforms. Plus, you can sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify Magic, your AI-powered all-star. And what's more, Shopify's award-winning 24-7 support is there to help your success every step of the way. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Now, because you listen to The Totally Football Show, you can sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash totally, all in lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash totally to grow your business no matter what stage you're in. That's S-H-O-P-I-F-Y dot com slash totally. You're listening to The Totally Football Show with James Richardson, the Sports Podcast Awards Soccer Podcast of the Year. Gonzalo Montiel, here come Forrest, they've won it again, and it's sent forward by a one-year to Alanga, shots it home! Brilliant, lovely finish from Anthony Alanga. That is a classy, classy finish from Alanga. Crikey, what happened at the bridge? Listen, I mentioned big names down at the bottom half. Got your Man United in 11th. Who's this, Chelsea in 12th? Newcastle in 14th. And Nottingham Forest are up in ninth place. Daniel. Yes, yes. A brilliant win at Chelsea. Yes. Uh, important because Forest's fixture list was was pretty tricky towards the start of the season and there were some concerns about the impatience of, of Evangelos Maranakis. And he has every right to be impatient given the ambition he showed uh, on deadline day alone. Forrest made seven signings on deadline day, Woo. which is, um, yeah, it's remarkable. And, and most of them... Uh, if not all of them, make sense in terms of trying to create a team that has more depth, that is able to be more progressive with the ball. And, and Steve Cooper's going to have to deal with that. So to, I think there's an argument that it was almost easier for Cooper to pick his team with those seven unavailable because they all signed, obviously, just the day before. But it was a fantastic performance. And it was on it was on Cooper's own terms. You know, they soaked up pressure. They counter-attacked Chelsea. Chelsea had lots of shots, but Matt Turner didn't really have any saves to make. A shout out to Joe Worrell, who um, has had a, a heck of a week. Um, it's been a very big story around the Nottingham way, but there's a, a police officer killed trying to save someone's life on a level crossing last week, who is, or who was Joe Worrell's uncle. Um, and Joe was adamant he wanted to come to training every day. He was given permission not to, but he wanted to come in. He was adamant that he wanted to play. And he was by a distance man of the match against Chelsea and, and kept a clean sheet. So at a time when Forrest signed two centre-backs the day before, you know, good on him for being able to do that. It, you know, that is how you go from an academy kid to being a Premier League captain. So, yeah, brilliant day for Forrest and, a, and an awful one for Chelsea because this is exactly what we feared. Mm. No, no peak age, high level central striker signing exclusively young players who will be inconsistent and will make mistakes, buying system players like Moises Caicedo and then acting surprised when they don't quite know what they're doing without that system around them. This is this is everything we worried about. Uh, Ken M says, there's got to be a headline here about robbing from the rich, you know, because team from Nottingham. And yeah, that. we have... We have also spent two hundred million on players since since last summer, so there are levels here. But yes, I think Jonathan Pierce on Match of the Day described it as the recruitment agency derby, which is, um, yeah, probably nice. Right. Has a certain ring to it. After last weekend's disappointment, when um, when you were two 0 up against Man United and then let that slip this time round, absolutely terrific. And your first away win since January. Yeah, um, it took. I think Forest only took six points in the first eleven games last season. Mm. Um, they only won once away from home last season against Southampton, who were obviously finished bottom. So yeah, you can see the 
the kind of seeds of change already, which is which is great. Magnificent. Okay, who wants to have a pop at Chelsea then? Seventy five percent possession, two shots on target. I think there's a lot to like about the players that they've brought in, um, as Daniel sort of says, in terms of being inconsistent young players, which is everything I think Chelsea fans have said they wanted for a long period of time and what most football fans tend to want because then that way, you know, you should get more long-term success. And it, it just didn't come off on a game like that. And it was very reminiscent of the Southampton loss, I think, of creating a barrage of chances and going down one that at home. But they've been largely OK. I thought they were excellent against Luton. And it's a game, again, where it comes down to just the taking of the chances that... Pochettino is slowly Im embedding the system. It might take a bit of time, but mm. I don't think there's huge cause for concern in the way that people might look at the result and go, this is adding it to the list. They were not as bereft as they were in terms of their attacking output and their, you know, just how poor they looked um, at the tail end of last season where there's just nothing cohesive at all. Because as you say, that was the charge against them that in the hour or so until Forrest scored, Chelsea dominated the game but didn't really do enough with it didn't have enough uh, I don't know courage to to do something with it what, what do you make of uh, Pochettino's start there Rafa? It feels to me as if Chelsea are another six seven players away in January from being a half decent team now I'm I'm slightly uh, fatigious here um, I think Pochettino's struggling with some of the same problems that Graham Potter had it's the uh, needs to construct a whole new team while the season is ongoing. Um, there are players there who look like they're really important, but uh, you see the club going out and buying three or four players in the same position. Um, what does that do with somebody like Conor Gallagher? It's, um, it's hard to know. It is still very disjointed. It is still a bit creaky. And... I'm still not sure that Nicholas Jackson is the kind of all-conquering big number nine that will make a massive difference for for Chelsea. He's got great attributes, he's got great movement, but on the evidence so far from what I've seen, he's not naturally as prolific as yeah, as the kind of forward that, that Chelsea would really need to make a massive difference, at least in the absence of Nkunku, because Nkunku is so good that I think he will completely change the whole complexion of how Chelsea play, at least in attack, once he comes back. So this is all with a massive caveat. There's a Chelsea with Nkunku, and I think there's a Chelsea without Nkunku. But the Chelsea without Nkunku is struggling because there's just far too many players uh, being being brought in and not enough time to get them all to play. Um, it's exactly the same problem as last year. Even though they cleared out so many, they still have about 10 too many. Mm. Uh, probably. Daniel, is seven players coming in on deadline day? Is that a record? I suspect so. Outside of a few years ago, you used to get kind of crisis league one clubs who managed to come out of administration sort of two days before the end of a summer window and then signed 13 free transfers or whatever on deadline day. But I suspect it's a Premier League record, yeah. Mm. Okay. Yeah. Uh, of them, which ones are you most excited about? Well, well... Ibrahim Sangari has been the number one target all summer. Um, it became clear that Brennan Johnson was going to have to be sold because it's partly because of the mistakes of last summer, but partly because they were they were very very keen on on Sangari as this kind of number six who will play with someone next to him and be able to win the ball back and progress the ball. And they are we are surprised that they they got him psv you had forest fans sort of cheering for rangers during their champions league qualifying game against psv last wednesday night because the supposition was that if psv made the champions league then sangari would not be keen on the move and actually the the opposite happened they did qualify for the champions league and he's still here for for a reported 30 million pounds that is a is a game changer for forest they believe um but it's also steve cooper hopes it's about the competition for places. I think at times last season, there were a few in that team who were subconsciously probably, but were aware that whatever happened, they probably wouldn't get dropped, even with all the players that have been brought in. Now, you know, you saw on Saturday that kind of spine of, of Scott McKenna, Ryan Yates and Joe Worrell. The only players left in that team from the championship were, were probably three of the best players on the pitch. And that's what new signings do. That That's the aim of them. It's not just the, the, the influence they bring. It's the kind of transformative effect on the squad. So, yeah, Divock Origi, see if I can name them all. Divock Origi, um, uh, Amadami Dele from, from Norwich, the a central defender. That was the big surprise. Uh, Callum Hudson-Odoi, 
Vlakodimos, the goalkeeper from Benfica, who was Benfica's number one. These are big names, but they all happened to arrive with about eight hours of each other, so some of it got lost along the way. All right. Looking forward to seeing them featuring as part of Forest Season, which, as I mentioned, currently has them up in ninth place. Remarkable stuff. Uh, moving on, Brighton 3, Newcastle 1. Liam, I imagine you watched this. I did. Uh, I caught the tail end of it coming back from um, the, the Brentford game, but uh, a really, really big win. It's the I believe it's now the 10th time that Brighton have won their Premier League game following Again, they just lost. So in terms of bounce back ability, mm. um, under Deserby, it's been every single time they just you know keep winning after losing. Similarly, having quite a poor performance at home against West Ham the week prior, so to really sort of turn it on. And Evan Ferguson, as I'm sure everyone's seen, you know, scored three. Okay, the last one he has a bit of luck. I think about it with the deflection, but definitely not with the second one. And I think the first goal is is a case of really really good positioning. Mm. Is there any kind of limit you would like to put on the predictions for how good Evan Ferguson's going to be? Roberto De Zerbi said after the game that he can be the top scorer in Europe. So I think if your own manager is, is doing that, and, and De Zerbi is occasionally prone to post-match hyperbole, we should say. But yeah, he said he's going to be a big, big player, the top scorer in Europe. And if you're Brighton, why wouldn't you make those kind of predictions? Because it, all it seems to do is stir £100 million bids from, <laughs> from other clubs. Um, it, it's, it's incredible how rounded he is at 18. He's only, he's only started 12 Premier League games. Not just you know his presence and his physical you know his aerial ability and physical presence, but the finishing, the movement outside the area, the ability to kind of f- kind of predict where the space is going to be between the lines. He is an incredible player for eighteen. Mm. Brighton currently averaging three goals a game this season, and you're about to add Ansu Fati to that mix, Liam. How excited are you as a Brighton fan? Oh, very much so. There's probably a, a wider tactical question on how and where do you try and fit everyone in, and mm. it's. Um, dare I say it then, sort of verging on some of the problems that Chelsea might have had in terms of how do you fit all these attackers in. Um, obviously, Karim Matoma has been excellent for well over a season now off the left, um, but I think Fatih could offer something really, really valuable sort of in central areas, going through the middle. He's, you know, deserves he's tried a few different combinations. Um, he's got sort of Danny Welbeck, Jao Pedro and Evan Ferguson, and it's kind of two from three of those. And with the injury to Julio and Cizo, now means that they just needed some more depth sort of in um, in that position. So it's a wonderful gamble to see, I think, the, you know, the idea that it's and I try to look at this with a positive lens of okay it's a it's a straight loan a player that will go back to the club afterwards but if you look at someone like Moises Caicedo that's coming on Mark Kukure that have come in that have been at Brighton for playing for the men's senior team at least for only really a year or a season and a bit that that is not actually different in terms of time to having a player for a year on a season long loan mm. um, so that is my very much glass half full approach um, but it's yeah it's a ridiculously um, fantastic signing in that regard Excellent Newcastle, meantime, having uh, the wrong end of this scoreline. Uh, the optimism of their uh, 5-1 thrashing of Villa on the opening day has rather evaporated the three defeats in a row. That's beginning to be uh, quite a broad selection of failures. Can we point fingers at Eddie Howe or people on Tyneside? I don't... Firstly, they only took one point from those three games last season, uh, and things went okay. You know, losing to, they lost to Liverpool at home last season. They lost at Man City. They drew away at Brighton last season, nil nil. But there is clearly a problem in midfield. They seem to have spent six, six well, fifty-five to sixty million pounds on a central midfielder who, from what I've seen of the Premier League so far this season, I can't pick a, a, two midfielders who are more similar than Bruno Gamares and Sandro Tonali, which is a really odd thing to happen because. They're both playing in the same team. They seem to be playing the same way. Tonali better than Bruno at the moment, which is making him look bad. And then there's just this kind of space behind them where Joe Ellington is finished, is, is filling that at the moment. But, you know, at some point we have to stop moving him further back down the pitch. We've gone from striker to left midfielder to left centre-sided central midfielder to now a number six, and it's just not working. And they're just getting overrun in midfield. We, we saw that against Liverpool. Bruno loses the ball. They get counter-attacked on. We saw it against Brighton. Yeah, it's just it's, that midfield is just not working. I don't know if it will take time or it will take a change, but something's going to have to give soon, yeah. Mm. When they return from the international break, they'll also have Champions League to factor into their thinking. Newcastle are drawn in that tremendously eye-catching uh, group, Group F, uh, which features Paris Saint-Germain, Dortmund and Milan alongside the Magpies. Woof. I was going to ask Rafa about kind of how Newcastle has seen 
abroad because that looks a really hard group. But I guess if you look at the strength of the Premier League now, you say, well, Newcastle will definitely qualify because they've got all the money and all those players. I'm not sure you can really say they will definitely qualify because the group is, is difficult. PSG are favourites, of course. Dortmund have had a really poor start to the season. Uh, not as bad in terms of results as Newcastle's, but the performances have been absolutely awful. And they only managed a 2-2 draw against uh, newly promoted Heidenheim on, on Friday after taking a 2-0 lead within 15 minutes. So they're going into the international break really unhappy with themselves. And uh, Milan are, uh, you know, are a decent side, as, as James can, can attest to. So I think Newcastle, because of their performance last season, which I think is still fresh in the mind of, of most sort of foreign observers, getting into the uh, top four in such a difficult group, and then adding a few very interesting players will be seen as, as a team that uh, should qualify really behind PSG. But I don't know if, if their current defensive problems will persist because they, this team is built on defense. This team is built on being difficult to score against, being difficult to get behind. And at the moment, they're anything but. And that's why things are quite bad. Quite bad indeed. 14th right now. Brighton, of course, have also, have also been involved in a European draw mm. for the Europa League, Liam. And you've got, oh, Ajax, Marseille and AK Athens. It's a proper hipster group, that. It's, um, it's nice, no? Yeah, very good fun. Excellent. That'll be getting underway Thursday. That'll be Thursday the 21st of September, I think. And the Champions League stuff on the 19th. Ooh. Up next, let's talk about Spurs. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is the Totally Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. Pedro Porro, something developing again for Spurs. Lovely ball for Son, in for his hat-trick! Three in the back for the Spurs captain. They just swept through Burnley there. Spurs at it again this weekend. This time they put five past Burnley, who've shipped 11 goals so far across their three matches. A worst defensive record in the Premier League. Uh, Spurs now uh, featuring Kyung Min Sung as a central striker with Richarlison on the bench. Was that the difference, Rafa? It does uh, make a difference. Um, Hung Min Son already played that position, uh, of course, uh, a few years ago when Harry Kane was out with that ankle injury and he was absolutely superb as a centre forward. I think we've kind of forgotten how good um, Sonny is because of his struggles last season, which seemed to have been mostly of physical nature, but he looked kind of a little bit uninspired, a little bit slow. And perhaps mentally we, we wrote him off a little bit and shouldn't be surprised just how good he is now being restored to his known performances. But I think this is bigger. This is a, a team that haven't really been able to buy big names or big stars um, after Kane's departure, but play so much better football. It's so much more enjoyable to, to see this team play as a neutral. I'm sure Spurs fans will feel the same. Um, this is a team with um, everyone starting from the centre-backs and the full-backs or the wing-backs uh, or the inverted um, full-backs, thinking about moving the ball forward. 
rather than thinking about being on the ball as little as possible, as was the case in, in recent years. And it's such a transformation. And even if ultimately it cannot be sustained or they fall just short of the top five, I think just seeing a team play football and trying to win games rather not to lose them, it's just really good. Mm. And I think Spurs fans are very grateful already for that transformation that Andrew Postecoglou has, has brought about. Right. Wherever they finish, they're going to have some fun along the way. They did They did bring in some players. James Madison's pretty big name and a, a wonderful goal from him. Uh, and Big-ish, yes. Big-ish. And Brennan Johnson, semi-big. How's he going to feature for, uh, for Spurs, do you think, Daniel? Uh, well, he's certainly got bags of potential. He's come a long way very, very quickly. It's only two and a half years I think since he was on loan in, in League One uh, with Lincoln and basically played a full championship season with Forest and was top scorer and got them promoted uh, and has a habit of scoring if not consistent output or consistent goal output has a habit of scoring big goals at big times uh, for Forest. he scored in both legs of the playoff he scored in both games against Derby in the championship he scored big goals against Everton last season and against Leeds and those games that Forrest needed to win he turned up in mm. uh, I, I think he will play out on the right and he is probably a threat I suppose to, to Dejan Kulisevsky's place um, but he gives I mean he gives Spurs another option now is the point this season, I suspect his option, his his minutes may be a little bit more limited, um, simply because Spurs don't have that many games, and he will prefer to play on the counter. So I kind of see him kind of away from home, on the last shoulder of the defender. Him and Son playing on the counter attack will be really, really effective. But he's yeah, he's a he's a very very bright prospect, one of the brightest prospects in in British football at the moment. And um, yeah, I wish him all the best because he's also a lovely lovely guy. Very nice. Steve Kang says, how good has destiny been for Spurs? Will big clubs be saying, how much is that doggy in the window come January? He's been great. Really, really good. I love him as a player. Why do you love him, Raf? Because he, he always looks busy. He is always face switched on, really intelligent in his movement, makes things happen. It's everything you want. Yeah. He also, like you look at those Spurs players and... It's not that they aren't making mistakes. It's that they don't fear that if they do make one mistake, then the cl- the manager is gonna like harangue them in front of the supporters or in front of their teammates, and everyone's gonna close in on themselves because one mistake's been made. They they're just having a bit of fun. It's great. Magnificent. All right, uh, we're going to be doing the Totally Football Show European Edition, Rafa, on Tuesday. You mentioned the issues that Dortmund have been having. Their former player Jude Bellingham. So continuing his run of success, he's scored in all four of his appearances for his new club, Real Madrid. We'll hear about that. We'll hear the latest from the Bundesliga, from Ligue 1, where Leon are bottom after being smashed by uh, Mbappé's PSG. We'll touch on City out as well, where Milan and Newcastle's Champions League group are currently top and flying. And uh, Roma, under Jose Mourinho, are in the bottom three. Much to discuss in Tuesday's European edition of the Totally Football Show. In today's one, there's other Premier League games, Liam. Brentford uh, 2-2 with Bournemouth, which you told us a little bit about. West Ham's 2-1, a victory away at Luton on Friday. Man City's 5-1 win against Fulham. And Saturday lunchtime, Sheffield United 2, Everton 2. Both sides picking up their first point of the season. Is this the storm clouds lifting then for Sean Dyche's Toffees? I think they have far, far better attacking options than they had last season. They've now got Beto, Calvert-Lewin and Shamiti as options to be the central striker. They've got Danjuma, they've got McNeil, they've got the player who I've forgotten they've signed. Um, uh, Jack Harrison, uh, who they've got as well from Leeds. So I think they've got better options than they had. It's just whether the central midfield and defence is able to cope because... It feels like with Everton, you you solve you think you've solved one problem and another two open up. Um, they are leaking shots and goals more than they should be. They are their finishing has been appalling this season. I saw them last week squeak past Doncaster in the the League Cup. They're certainly not ready yet. And Sheffield United, I think, are well. They're certainly one of the two weakest teams in the league, and they didn't beat them. They've played Wolves at home and lost. Fulham at home and lost. Sheffield United away and drawn. I mean. These aren't the results of a team that's going to be comfortable this season. Mm. OK, 
could have been worse had Jordan Pickford not pulled off that incredible double save right at the death. Hey. Yeah, genuinely incredible reactions. One of those saves that they, they showed it three times at slow in slow motion. I was like, don't show it at slow motion because that just makes it look like a normal save. Mm. Show it at full pace because, yeah, it was ridiculous reactions. Mm. All right. Everton, even with that point, still off to their joint worst start to a Premier League campaign. Uh, their worst, in fact, since 1994. They've got Arsenal coming up after the international break. Of the other games, uh, Brentford, that 2-2 draw with Bournemouth... We're 93rd minute equaliser from goal machine Brandon Buemo. Brentford have also added to their attacking options by signing Neil Mope. There'll be a lot of people who will wonder about that. Liam, can you offer an explanation? He was largely good at Brighton. He was patchy at times. Um, scored a decent number of goals. Admittedly, never really kicked on from having a, a, quite a good first season. But he's a really smart player in terms of his link play. Um, you know, the the biggest thing, I think, not just Ivan Tony's goals and the proportion of Brentford's goals that he'd scored, but was also the way that he would contribute in their build-up, that he was such a good sort of aerial target. Um, someone they could hit, play flick-ons to, a great relationship with Mbwemo. They've had to adapt now. They've gone sort of more 4-3-3, so they need sort of more forwards and more pace, someone that can really be a nice link for Kevin Sharder off the left or from Mbwemo, uh, or maybe Keen Lewis Potter off the right. So it's, uh, it's not just goals, it's pressing as link play should add to their forward line, really. Excellent. Excellent. Mention Everton being off to their joint worst start in Premier League history. West Ham, meanwhile, making the joint best one since the division was conceived. Uh, only in 1999 did they have this many points after four games. Uh, that's 10 points, which has them in that cluster of teams just two points behind Man City. How long is this going to continue for, do you think? When's the bubble, if you will, going to burst? <sighs> I'm not sure it will yet. Uh, clearly, Europa League football is going to be the, the Europa League group stage is going to be harder work than the Conference League group stage was last season. Um, so that kind of Thursday Sunday slog will be harder. But they look like a team that, whereas last season they signed quite a few players and Moyes felt either an onus or the pressure to change the style and it didn't work this season they seem to have just doubled down on what they were doing and they've signed players that enables them to do that they're pressing higher up the pitch Lucas Paqueta is being really busy at um, making tackles um, redacted comment uh, taken away um, but he's 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 making tackles he's putting his foot in uh, Pablo Fornals is doing the same when he plays and it's enabling Alvarez and James Ward-Prowse to just be a little bit higher up the pitch I think and just you know, a little bit less threatened. I, I do wonder, and this is purely theory, but I do wonder if having Declan Rice last season subconsciously told every other player, we don't really need to do so much work off the ball because we've got Declan behind us. And this year it feels like more of a team effort so far. Mm, so far, so good then for West Ham. Two points off the top where Man City are, of course, in pole position, uh, a spot that they reinforced with a 5-1 victory this weekend against Fulham. Just seven shots... And five goals. Anything of note about how City performed in this game, Liam? The shots thing is interesting because they had lots of really good opportunities early on. And it's just one of those games where I think City had so much of the ball that they were just reluctant to shoot until they had the tapping that they wanted. It wasn't a case of failing to break Fulham down. Um, I thought Foden looked incredible, really, really incisive off the right. He's great for these sorts of games because he can operate so well in sort of tight spaces and under pressure and he just finds ways to weave through players or sort of pick passes um, and of course the combination between uh, Julian Alvarez and uh, Erling Haaland end up you know paying real sort of dividends particularly in the second half um, mm. in, in leading to Haaland's hat-trick so it's one of those games where I think City really grind an opponent down and sort of you know in the first half might take their time but you know it's it's death by passing and then they get them later on now the second city goal though the subject of some controversy after Manuel Akanji was deemed not to be interfering while in a very offside position did you guys find that as surprising as most of us did yeah I thought it was offside yeah he's had to jump out the way yep. the ball strange yep. very strange decision. strange decision yeah mm. well that's an 18th home win in a row for City in all competitions, which is pretty extraordinary. Uh, it's also their 15th victory in a row against Fulham. If City beat them in their next meeting, that will set a new record for the most successive wins against an opponent in, in English football history. There you go. That was round four. Next up, uh, the international break with all the, the drama and excitements that will bring. Uh, anything else you want to add? Uh, before we park today's Totally Football show. Well, James, you, you, you said that you watched the Arsenal-Man United game in a, in a place full of United fans. Yes. 
Was that at home or? No, 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 it wasn't. It was, it was a long way from home, actually. No, I saw it in a place called Smithfield Halls in New York City. Um, wow. Yeah. So where it was very much, uh, well, it was the second game of the day. So Liverpool, Villa and, and, and the Palace game were on at nine. And then that was followed through a kind of mist of Bloody Marys uh, by this uh, extraordinary entertainment of, of Arsenal Man United with a lot of uh, United fans jumping up and down as the second half wore on because they, they really thought they were going to turn this one around. And, and, and uh, but no, yes, sorry, Rafa. I've got so many questions, James. <laughs> First of all, what were you doing in New York? But more importantly, yeah. what were you doing watching football? <laughs> No, it was. Um, I, I really enjoyed uh, watching, uh, with, as I say, accompanied by brunch and stuff, you know, and uh, a lot of jumping up and down Man United fans. It was it was terrific. So uh, many thanks to them, and uh, yeah, I went to New York for the weekend, but we don't need to get into that. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I went to see Bruce Springsteen on Friday night at Meadowlands in New Jersey. Wow. Yeah. The boss. The boss, indeed, yeah. He's only done about two UK tours over well, the last he, he, three, he played, three he years. He played twice he? this summer, a mile from my house, but I wasn't <laughs> I, I wasn't organised enough to get to that. But there was something nice about seeing him in New Jersey, and he kind of comes out and says, you know, here I am at home in the Meadowlands and etc. It was great fun. Anyway, that was my international weekend. We've got a, a, an actual one coming up next time around. Uh, on Thursday, we'll be looking ahead to some of the uh, fixtures, which will include Ireland with that Evan Ferguson up against France, of course. Woof. For that, on Tuesday, Rafa rejoins us for European club football chat. So hopefully, listener, you'll be along for that ride too. For now, it's many, many thanks to Rafa, to Daniel, to Liam, producer Charlie, and Rachel putting the video clips together. And from all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Athletic.